0: This is Mutual. The
1: following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the
0: age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult.
1: World. Welcome to the Aldergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed, and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. When we last left off, our dauntless hero had completed his third-of-a-mile journey from home to office in a mere forty-five minutes, and while committing only a single act of aggravated assault en route. Arrived at last, he is reunited with none other than his beloved old mentor, Dr. Kilbury. After the rocky start, could this turn out to be a good day after all? This is Day 2, Part 3, Madness and Murder. It is the second day of the return to Watergate. The time and place of writing is after midnight, in the Arquell Privy Library, atop the manse of the Vice-Chancellor. We begin. Yes, there he was, Prof. K., his very self. And just the same spry old, bushy-browed gargoyle whose lectures kept on pulling you away from Lapdaemon long after you'd stopped thinking of yourself as a student. The admirable Dr. Lockwood Kilbury. That really is his first name, apparently. You looked him up in the Gambrel College directory to get the address of his residence, and there it was. Fancy... You've known the man half your life, and never even suspected. Suppose if you were called Lockwood, you'd probably keep it pretty quiet, too. Still, a rose by any other name, what? Lockwood or not Lockwood, the chap in the corridor outside your new office was, unquestionably, Dr. Kilbray in the flesh. In more of the flesh than usual, as a matter of fact... He's still every inch the dapper dandy, collar mounting firmly to the chin, necktie done up in his signature Eldridge knot, the one that always takes you half an hour with a YouTube video to get right. However, things start to pull a bit round about the fourth shirt button, and numbers five and six are holding on for dear life. It worried you, seeing him like that. Not the paunch itself. "'It's his body, to do as he likes with, and he seems remarkably fit for his age. "'Whatever age that is. Pliocene, probably. "'No, you weren't concerned about the tummy, per se, "'but rather the fact that the fellow clearly hasn't seen his tailor in all the time he's spent acquiring it. "'That seemed to speak of some calamity. "'The Kilbury of yore rarely wore the same suit twice.' Is this the toppling of that towering mind, you wondered as you rushed up to greet him? Has the old boy finally begun to slip? (sighs) Not a bit of it. Kilbury's glasses may, like the man himself, have thickened over the years, but the fellow hasn't lost an iota of his old vigor. He's gained some, if anything, and perhaps a touch of vim besides— "'You remember him as a bit of a sourpuss, but this morning he couldn't have been jollier. "'All the very best stuff, too, a
0: positive salvo of "'Young Master Ward, as I live and breathe, and "'Followed your career with considerable interest, and all that grand old oil. Ah,
1: "'Nice, nice, very nice.' just the sort of thing one hopes for, what? Embarrassing, almost, coming from a man with whom you used to have long imaginary arguments during your after-lecture shower. Five minutes earlier, you wouldn't have laid better than even odds that Prof. K even remembered you. He was certainly never this chummy back in the old days. Of course, you are his boss now. Sort of. Anyhow, After the grand reunion, there was nothing for it but to invite the fellow in, and you were prompt to do so. As your hand lit on the knob of your new office's dour old door, however, a sense of nameless... uh, something or other rose in your stomach. Rummy thing. Somehow reminded you of nothing so much as the times when little Adrian Ward, almost, but never quite steeled himself to sneak into Captain Vargo's cabin on the R.V. Academic Shershov. A sense of trespass, that's what it was. It appalled you to think of barging into Sir Reggie's private office as if you owned the place, even though, well, you do. From the neck up, you understood this perfectly well. Nevertheless... Your gut gave a fearful squeeze as you stood upon the threshold, and when you overcame the twinge and pressed forward, you found that your gut had been spot on nil nisi bonum self old chap, but for all that you've waxed satirical about the eccentricities of your predecessor, that scene in the office of the vice-chancellor shook you awfully. There was just something so beastly deliberate about it, so barbarously systematic. It was like looking at the scene of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, but instead of splattering his victims willy-nilly, Sir Reggie had sliced them up one by one and plastered the bits all over the walls and furniture and each other, leaving the awful lying about on the floor in gory heaps. Only with books, obviously. <sighs> what can the old lunatic have been up to, do you suppose? It was like the scene in the detective movie, where the maps and photos and press clippings are all tacked up significantly. Except in this case, Sir Reggie seems to have been trying to solve the whole mystery of existence. Ugh. Prof. K. didn't bat an eyelid, of course. It's possible he might have elevated an eyebrow, but that could have been a trick of the light, and he'd never admit to it under torture. Implacable and unflappable, that's Kilbury. That's not Ward, however. You blinked, gawped, and goggled. "'As you gazed thus in horror at the desecrated Sanctum Sanctorum, "'the old prof straightened a stack of encyclopedias that had escaped the ink-shed "'and lowered himself onto it like an expectant hen. "'He sat there, sphinx-like, drinking in your embarrassment. "'Ah, well, nothing you couldn't handle,' You survived years of sharing a space with Sammy, and she used to leave books and papers and things lying about to the point where entering her bedroom meant an uphill climb. Granted, she let her books rest in peace where they fell, none of this desecrating the corpse's stuff. Still, Hark for Ard... You slogged through the drifts of scattered pages to a grand old Bureau Mazarin desk that had been turned into a mass grave for empty covers and broken spines. You leaned. You pressed. You endeavored to scoot yourself a bit of sitting space. Of the resulting avalanche, the less said the better. Poor Sir Reggie. Well, never mind. "'It was delightful being talked at by old Prof K. again. "'To think, it's been over fifteen years "'since you last endured that marvellous, haughty drone of his. "'You asked him how he'd been, and he said, well. "'You asked him what he'd been up to, and he said, work. "'The old Ultima Ratio, you know, same as always. "'Then you asked him about the university.' how she'd fared in your absence, and settled back to enjoy the ride. He did not disappoint. Prof. K. held forth in grand style on all that has transpired at the university. It not happened, transpired. This is Dr. Kilbury speaking, after all. It seems that Altergate or perhaps the world as a whole, it's not clear that he distinguishes between the two, has continued its ponderous and inevitable decline in manners, morals, and appearance. If the place hasn't yet gone entirely to the dogs, then it's not for want of trying on the part of Regent House and the University Council. To us
0: falls canutes you crown young master ward? Upon our efforts and our eloquence must turn back the tides of history. And more of that sort of thing.
1: (sighs) After your stint in the new world, not to mention the business world, talking to Prof. K gives you the most delicious sense of inferiority. Something about his air of infinitely tolerant disappointment always leaves you feeling like some sort of mud-caked savage who's been caught scratching himself with the wrong fork. On he went, and so on, and on, and on. You recalled, even as consciousness sidled toward the exit, that even on the sternest subjects, the Kilbury Pipes play sweet lullabies for a young man called from his bed before sunrise. A slightly older man, who hasn't slept since the Western Hemisphere, frankly doesn't stand a Welch chance. You'd had a damp and chilly morning tromp, and twenty minutes of Prof K, in the fog of your new office, had your head growing heavier, and heavier, and bored. He waited until the second avalanche had subsided.
0: Then, "'Not boring you, am I, boy? Report to my office after supper and expect six of the best.'
1: You cringed, the scapegrace caught dead to rights. It flashed through your mind that Aldergate writ, though famously, even infamously lenient towards its scholars— "'might well make allowance for the corporal discipline of its executives.' "'Fortunately, Kilbury commuted your
0: sentence. "'Never mind, never mind. You're only cheating yourself, after all. "'However, I do believe that I shall assign you extra prep as punishment.' i should feel myself remiss if i did not as it were consummate your investiture with the first of what i assure you will be a great many trivial demands
1: whereupon he plucked the handkerchief from his breast pocket and unfolded it now there wasn't a great deal of light in the office sir reggie in his mania has papered over not only the light switches but also the windows as high as he could reach. Fortunately, however, your predecessor may have been a renowned vice-chancellor, he may have been a beloved vice-chancellor, but even on his best day he was never a particularly tall vice-chancellor. The window's upper panes let in a handsome wash of golden dawn, and in that brave light "'The jewel in Kilbury's claw glowed rose.' (laughs) "'That would have been something, wouldn't it? "'With all the mysteries you've got banging about, "'you only needed a pink carbuncle to complete the set. "'Too bad it's only a bit of stained glass "'that fell out of the chap's bedroom window. "'He wants it put back, and you said you'd see it done.' "'Pray
0: don't put yourself out over it,' he insisted, rising to take his leave. "'I have placed the Miller translation of Phenomenology of Mind over the lacuna. "'It does a better job of keeping the rain out than it ever did of explicating human consciousness.'
1: (sighs) You know there was a joke to be made there somewhere.' Something about Hegel being drier than Aldergate is damp. Well, missed your chance. Add l'esprit d'escalier to the chorus of spirit vexing you this night. Perhaps you can work the line in when you go to see if that awful handy gal has fixed things to prof K's satisfaction. You've not forgotten about her, and you will be avenged. Ah. ''No, no, you won't. She was just doing her job, no doubt. And you are glad to have the power back. But really, jumping out at people like that, she's the one who's to blame for your nervous nonsense this evening. Partially. Anyhow, back to the VC's office. Kilbury went on his merry way, and that rather left you to cool your heels.' You didn't particularly want to hang about in that bibliological abattoir, but there's nothing worse than saying goodbye to a chap and then awkwardly following him out of the building. So, you hunted about for an outlet to recharge your phone, but Sir Reggie's redecoration is twistingly thorough. Except for a grand old armoire, and the side table with the decanters on it, there isn't a stick of furniture in the office that hasn't been papier-mâchéed as you were kicking peevishly at the mess and trying to estimate the average air-speed velocity of an unladen philosophy professor you heard the echo of footsteps out in the corridor not dr kilbury's dignified shuffle no no indeed this was the squeaky clumping of a generally sedentary woman of average height dark-haired you would have said and recently returned from the colonies And, even after all this time, she still hasn't shaken that habit of whistling tunelessly under her breath that used to drive Sammy up the wall. Turning your back to the office door, you stood haughtily erect and clasped your hands behind you. You heard the knob turn, the hinges creak. Then, Bathsheba folks, I presume... Baz made a sort of a horrified goggling sound and spat out a nutritious mouthful of one of those meals on the go shake things she drinks. "Flipping heck, Adrian, don't shout." Sorry. You turned round and went to shake the hand of the pal whose good offices had gotten you your beastly new one. Baz was noticing the state of the office as well. Her face always operates at the roundish, pinkish end of the spectrum, and a good look at the state of the old O of the VC left her positively cherubic. She wasn't about to comment on Sir Reggie's extreme découpage, in case you'd done it yourself and liked it that way, but you could feel the sheer weight of the untidiness oppressing that fussy soul of hers. "'That might have been your chance to lean on her "'to wrangle you a few brawny students for box-removal duty. "'The great cycle of life, what? "'Once Sir Reggie had paid you to bring them in. "'Now you would gladly pay to get rid of them. "'At that moment, however, "'Baz's bottle of health slop reminded you "'that you were starving to death. "'You brought this to her attention. "'Becky!' "'Oh, yes, course.' "'She laughed. "'Fancy a fry-up at the keys, for old time's sake. "'Can't go there too often. "'Doctor's orders, but—' "'You bade her say no more, but lead the way. "'You paid close attention on the way out, "'and, assuming the same route works in both directions, "'you ought to be able to find your office again "'without quite so much fuss.' Not that you intend to spend any more of your time there than you can help. Got to be hands-on and active. You never could abide the sort of executive who sits behind a big shiny desk and waits for the world to come to them. Oh, hello. Speaking of the world coming and going, you didn't vanish at all today. Not long enough for you to notice it, at least. That's a happy thought. It's still early days, of course, but promising nonetheless. (sighs) Still, it's just swings and roundabouts if you end up drowning anyway. The weather was quite mild when you left home this morning, and what you could see of the sky from your office window looked entirely amiable. By the time you made it back downstairs, however, the foyer was crammed with a raft of new arrivals. "'waterlogged students jockeying for radiator real estate. "'There was much peeling and draping of sodden clothing. "'You'd have been quite content to stay and observe, "'but Baz got flustered and dragged you out into a herd of stampeding elements. "'Oof. "'Your umbrella may be in your suitcase, "'or it may be in Manhattan.' Either way, you hadn't got it with you. Baz had one of those little semi-automatic numbers in her bag, but those barely do for one, let alone two people whose rekindled friendship hasn't quite yet bounced back to -to cheek-to-cheek familiarity. Still, you huddled together as best you could and charged off down the high street. The squall didn't last long, it had already started to abate when you made the turn down Grope Lane, and was no more than a drizzle when you reached the bottom of the cul-de-sac. There, snuggled up against the south wall of the city, you found the Five Keys pub waiting for you. Right where you'd left it. <sighs> Your heart skipped a beat at the sight of the dear old watering hole. It'll skip a few more if you start eating there the way you used to, in the good old days before they'd invented calories. At least it's not overwhelmingly convenient for the manse. Back in the Beaufax days, it was just a hop and a skip from Hobson Mews. Well, it still is, of course. Do you suppose they rebuilt the Mews? Must have done. But then again, how could they? No. No, don't go digging there. Not tonight. You seem to have shaken off your attack of the howling fantods. No sense inviting them back again. Anyhow, you've got to get a move on. This diary hasn't even made it to breakfast yet. You've still got to recap your deeply disappointing first visit to Midwinter Hill, followed by the hours that you wasted trying to hunt down the fiend who put a hold on your access credentials. "'Yes. But have you, though? You really ought to, but it's dull, and it's annoying. "'Now, skip all that. Skip the breakfast you shouldn't have had, and the lunch you missed entirely. Skip your first cruel, tantalizing visit to the very threshold of Bonehenge.' That ring of white and gleaming towers. That pulsing tapestry of minds and data and experimentation and analysis. That pretty pony that you're finally allowed to touch, but not to ride. Bah. Skip stomping off in a huff, leaving Baz to wrangle and plead. Omit the way you stamped your little feet all the way to the over-under, that circular escalator thing that ferries pedestrians across the Aldergate Bypass. Disregard the way it echoes when you swear too loudly in the southbound tunnel. Leave out the nervous glances you got from innocent vendors in Faymarket Square as you stormed through en route for Queen's Parade. "'Forget the comedic timing of the actual storm that caught you halfway home "'and chased you into the colonial independent mercantile and tea-room for a dreary hour or so. Ugh. "'Nothing's worse than waiting about when you ought to be destroying somebody. "'Ruined whatever joy you might have taken in your first trip back to the mercantile. "'Old Pate was nowhere to be seen. He must be long gone by this time.' You hadn't the stomach to eat anything, and you couldn't go pulling Sibling out in public. So you passed the time seething impotently, and making aggressive eye contact with the tiger-skin wall-hanging. Forget it. (sighs) Forget about those silent, masked ones. They're out on the pent again, building a new stage, it looked like. Who knew that November was bumper season for open-air theater? Oh, and finally, try to forget that run-in with Baz's handy gal, and the names you called her after she left and you'd got your heart beating again. At least she sorted the electricity out. But honestly, popping up from basements like a toaster pastry, making chaps choke on their cheese... A pretty thing to do to a fellow who woke up to a houseful of intruders and has had a murderer breathing down his neck ever since breakfast. Uff That you can't forget. No sense keeping this diary if you're going to elide the uncomfortable bits. Yes, no help for it. Rewind. Back to breakfast at Five Keys. After that, though, it's bedtime for Adrian. If you think of anything else that needs recording, you can jot it down tomorrow. There will be time, then. Time for all that. There will be time. There will be time. Time to murder and create. and Time for Baz's awful greasy fork to steal a fried tomato from your plate.
0: <laughs>
1: but for tonight, you must set down the dreadful drama of murder for breakfast. Um. Diarist's note, I was getting very tired by this point, and when I'm exhausted, I tend to get a bit funnier. This next part is written as, well, as I say, um, Murder for Breakfast. The scene is the saloon bar of the five keys, a public house of mixed repute. Even on a cloudless day, only the bravest rays of sunlight dare intrude through the age-blind glass of heavy leaded windows and today the gloom is thick enough to bottle. The walls are hung with horse brasses and framed photographs of bygone generations of the Guildford College hares. A coal fire smoulders in the grate. Students infest the scarred leather booths, tables cluttered with books and laptops and ketchup-stained crockery. A group of elderly persons are playing mixed doubles speed katan. A round woman with a sugar glider on her shoulder is arguing memetic theory with the barkeep. Enter Adrian and Baz, stage left. Adrian, with Shakespearean gravity. The five keys, by my troth, just as before, And all's the same, far as the eye can see, THE HEARTHS AS WARM, THE LIGHTING JUST AS POOR, AS BACK WHEN WE DRANK HERE ILLEGALLY. THE bard WHO SAID THAT TIME DEVOURS, LIED. TIME CAME IN FOR A DRINK, AND TOOK HIS REST. HE LEFT HIS WINGED CHARIOT OUTSIDE. TIME HERE IS NO DESTROYER, BUT A GUEST. THE KEYS IS HISTORY'S FIXED AND FAITHFUL STAR. Here Lester lost his purse. There Drake was sick. No doubt the pickled eggs behind the bar have been there since the reign of good Queen Vic. No need to update Five wiki. The air here's still as sweet, the floor as sticky. Baz. Yes, it's the same old keys... Been a while, hasn't it? Don't embarrass me by ordering a bagel or a salad or whatever it is Americans eat for breakfast. Let's both get the full English. I can't face it alone. Adrian. bungo for the suicide pact. Oh, you've got to knock off soon. Your hands have that rubbery feeling. those little glinty lights are starting to wander about in the corners of your eyes. "'Don't forget, you've got to talk to your bloody chief constable in a few hours.' (sighs) "'What? Twist, where were you?' "'Um, you'd had your breakfast, and rather wished you hadn't. "'A five-keys fry-up is an awful thing to do to a person.' But at least you did learn a few things. Firstly, that Baz is not the succinct and urgent author of your mysterious letter. Not that she had nothing to say. Quite the contrary, and all of it highly pertinent to your new role here at Aldergate. Newgrave College is making a play to wrest the Ormo II Antarctic Research Facility away from Salton House. Or vice versa. And some sort of college prank vendetta between Ockham and Dolora is wreaking havoc on the Queensmead School of Animal Husbandry, and so on. <sighs> you hadn't the heart to tell her that you really couldn't cope with university drama just at the moment. So, to save yourself, you killed the mood. Ah, here we go again. Interior, the five keys, and all that, um, and scene. Adrian, enough of this merry prattle. The elephant in the room looms large. Tell, O oh sweet Bathsheba, of our fallen comrade. What the twist happened? Baz. "'I shall not answer you directly, my prince. "'Instead, I shall laugh nervously "'and dance around the subject in that way I have "'that makes everything ten times worse, "'besides taking ten times as long.' (sighs) "'Yes, it's all still clear as mud, "'but the best you can make out, "'Sammy seems to have died as she lived, "'as confusingly and inconveniently as possible.' when you first met, when you were friends, when you were colleagues, after the fire. At no time did you ever really know what she was up to. And now it seems she's left this veil of tears a more uncertain and confusing veil than she found it. The facts, as known, are these. Three days ago, at round two in the morning, A gaggle of students returning from some revel chanced to pass through Gambrel College. And there, in last quad, made they a fearful discovery. Two legs, severed at mid-thigh, spilling out of an anonymous black duffel bag, lying abandoned on the grass. The night-porter thought it was a prank... It wouldn't be the first time some morbid madcap liberated cadaver bits from Weatherby, But he had the sense to call the gambrel warden, and she called your chief constable, and he called the county. We're still entirely at sea as far as what could have happened, but we'd be even farther out if busybody Baz hadn't fortunately caught wind and turned up at the scene before the medical examiner took the legs away. Of course, she recognized whose they were, so there's at least that much to go on. Still, no idea where the rest of Sammy is, or who performed the separation, or how, or why. Baz, soliloquizing. And there, noble cuz, the investigation stands— I've wedged my nose as far into all official channels as it'll go, but to date we seem to have neither compelling clues nor likely suspects. Whoever did it could be in Vanuatu by this time. I do wish we could get the whole ordeal resolved. It's dreadfully untidy and terribly upsetting, and I'm such a fathead that I don't seem to have realized the very worst part of the whole business. Pray, sweet Adrian, do not tell me the worst part. I cannot bear it. Baz swoons, and the curtain falls. Yes, the worst part. You didn't think about it at the time, either. Didn't really think of it till after your run-in with that handy gal sent you jumping at shadows. Baz has her theories about the murder... Let her have them. Let Baz convince herself that there's a mad tramp on the loose, on the run, and far, far from Aldergate by now. Or perhaps this whole affair was one of Sammy's own chickens coming home to roost, an international assassin with a false nose and a forged passport who's safely back in Tehran or Pyongyang by now. There is a history there, after all. Tenuous, but possible and consider the alternative (sighs) don't rather because the alternative is that Sammy was killed not by an outsider but by one of Aldergate's own it does seem awfully personal doesn't it legs sliced off above the knees Does that speak of love, or hate, or some toxic cocktail of the two? And then, uh, to leave her scattered about like that, on a public quadrangle at the heart of a university that never sleeps. Callous, yes, but also very risky. There's madness there, sure enough, but twinned with either incredible luck or a profound and arrogant intellect. Aldergate boasts no shortage of profound and arrogant intellects. That's the worst part. The worst part is knowing that whoever killed Sammy is not only still at large, but probably close to home. In every sense. Is the murderer planning an encore? Or several? If so, you may have hopped aboard a horror story, just as it's getting started. Well then, so ends the second day of the return to Aldergate. Not exactly what you might call an auspicious start to a new job. Bureaucratic mix-ups and office in a mess to say nothing of murdered pals and mysterious letters and things that go bump in the night. Whatever is to become of the new Vice-Chancellor? We shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at the com. Find The Aldergate Papers on iTunes as well, and spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant, Adrian Ward.
0: You're listening to Tuesday Terrors on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is our weekly anthology for science fiction and fantasy as Lothar Tuppen brings you Wednesday Wonders. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of amazing audio or find the Wednesday Wonders feed in your favorite podcast player. And thank you for listening, everybody. This is the Mutual Audio Network.